0: Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study uh, from the Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Excited uh, to spend time with you. Missed you last week. I hope everybody had a great week. Uh, Some of you probably uh, with the 4th of July coming up uh, are probably on vacation this week. Whatever the case may be, uh, thank you for your prayers. Had a great time with family. It's good to be back, and hopefully you caught up on maybe some Bible studies that you missed. Uh, If you ever want to go back and go through any of the other series that we've done, in the Wednesday Bible study. They can all be found audio only uh, by going to Burgess Ministries, my last name, Burgess com Click on listen. Uh, if you prefer to uh do do the video format, which I don't know why you would look at me unless you were made to. Uh we certainly have a lot of archives here on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, uh, but we don't go as far back as we do with the audio archives because we didn't start the YouTube Archiving until a few years ago. But anyway, a lot of the series, though, you can find on video as well. And to find those, it's simple. Uh, just stay right where you are, on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel. Or if somebody sent you this link, no, you can go to the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel. Click on the playlist. You'll see uh, the Wednesday Bible study or Men's Bible study. Look at that. Uh, and you can go back uh, on whatever we've archived on the YouTube channel as well. Let, let me open this in a word of prayer because we, we've got a lot to get in today. We're actually going to cover two chapters in the book, The Unsaved Christian, by Pastor Dean Sarah from Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, and the only reason why we're doing two, I told you uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I feel like we've kind of covered what Chapter 9 talks about. I'm going to give you a brief on that, but then we're really going to du- jump in to Chapter 10. And once again, God's timing is perfect. Uh, it will deal with what we're going to be talking about this week with Independence Day coming up. Uh, it will be very topical. So let's bow uh, for a word of prayer. Ask God to be with us as we unpack uh, this commentary, but also uh, the Word of God. Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, for the, the grace and mercy you've shown us. We are living in a world of chaos. Uh, how many times we've all gone to Matthew 24 and begin to uh, to look over what you had to say uh, about the times that uh, look an awful lot like the times we're living in right now. Uh, and you said when we get to these times that, that we should begin to prepare that you could return at any time. Uh, you could, but you know, one thing we know for sure: we also could die at any time. Uh, so may may we be living our life in a way that reflects that we truly, um, you know, have this faith in you that we claim—the type of faith that is a, a faith of action. Uh, may may we be found being sanctified, being made holy. May we be found obedient. May we be found to be fruitful uh, and not uh, abusing the grace that you paid uh, such a price to give us. Uh, be with us today, Lord. Help us to learn. Help us to be refined and help us to be ready to stand up uh, for you and with you as we face a godless world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I uh, do want to do want to touch on that a little bit. So we, we look at chapter nine and, and remember, if you're if you're new to this series, and I can tell you this series has garnered more email than any series prior. Because it is doing something that the Bible tells us to do, as we said in Second Corinthians, that we are to assess ourselves, uh, and, and this, this is not an, an, an intended to do anything other than what the Bible says for us to to be fully sure that that we are part of the faith that we claim. The, to look and see, do I do I belong to Christ? Does my does my life look the way Scripture says it should look? And sometimes we can't really do this if if we're not challenged. To, to examine our life and, and ask these difficult questions. Uh, I'm also coming to you uh, in all humility teaching this because I myself uh, am a former cultural Christian. I, I lived out this cultural Christianity. I know exactly how it feels like. I know how it's justified. I know what it looks like because I was this man. Uh, and, uh, and so I want you to know that. This is not me sitting back and, and being self-righteous or smug or anything like that. This is a book that that uh, somebody gave me here in the at the studio. Uh, I read it. These were things we've been talking about for over four years in the Wednesday Bible study. And then, of course, it's put us to made us look at Scripture and the way we handle ourselves. and And today is going to be one that's going to probably get some pushback. I'll go ahead and tell you that because it's gonna it's gonna take on some idolatry that some of us have that we shroud. And, and patriotism and nationalism sometimes, and we're gonna we're gonna find out about our politics a little bit today, and 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 how we got to be real careful about mixing uh, our our relationship with Christ and our call from our Lord and Savior versus our call maybe to our country, uh, and some of this is probably gonna be upsetting, and some of it. But but I would just invite you to kind of just calm down and be willing to listen. And listen all the way through on what what is being said today, but as I've always said, and this may be even more important, be sure that you calm down and listen to what I, what is not being said today. okay? So many times, I, doing talk radio for as long as God has allowed me to do it. It really it frustrates me when somebody will call up and we, we've been talk, we've been talking about some sort of behavior or this, that, and whatever, and somebody will call up and say, "Well, I don't do that." And you know what I say? Well, then we weren't talking to you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you're, if you're not doing what the topic is talking about, then that topic wasn't addressing you. But if you are, then, you know, you need to take that and, and apply it. I, I think that uh, I had a lot of time on, on vacation to, uh, to spend with the Lord and spend time with my family and with my mom and dad. And so um, I was kind of reflecting on the, the world that we're living in. I really just turned off the switch. And said, "I'm not going to watch any news. I, I, I don't. I don't really. I'm not going to be concerned about what the chaos that's going on in our country and in the world for the next seven days. I'm just going to spend time with family. I'm going to be present. I'm going to invest in them. I'm going to rest. And I'm going to, uh, you know, when you're sitting down on the Gulf of Mexico, looking out at uh, just the vastness of it, and you realize that, you know, this same Gulf of Mexico that is so." Unpredictable, it can can kill you like that, and it's raging and out of control. That the the God that we serve tells it what to do, and it does it. <laughs> you know there, that you kind of become in awe of God sometimes when you look at His creation, when you pause for those moments. And and one of the things uh, when I was listening that I felt pretty clear that God was saying to me, and I think it applies to all of us in these times that we're living in. It's a real simple statement, but it, it's really profound. I kept hearing the Lord saying, prepare as if tomorrow is going to come, meaning be responsible, take care of your responsibilities, because tomorrow may come, but you need to start living like it's not coming. And I I remember just hearing that in my spirit and thinking, my goodness, uh, Lord, what exactly are you saying? And, of course, a lot of times God will just say, I'm saying what I'm saying. Go ahead and live your life and, and be responsible. Prepare for the things that need to be done, as if tomorrow's coming. But you better start living your spiritual life as if it's not. Live your worldly life like tomorrow's coming. Taking care of the tasks, doing the things you're supposed to do, pay your bills, go to work, take care of your family. But your spiritual life, if there's things in your spiritual life that you're not right with me, or you're not treating serious, or you're not giving time to and attention to, I would stop all that. And I would start preparing that tomorrow may not come and you're going to face me. And uh, I will tell you, that's, that was my big takeaway from last week. And, uh, and, that, and, and you know what I say to my Lord and Savior? You know what I say to the great I am? Thank you. Roger that. I'm listening. And I won't just listen. I will actually apply it. So as we jump into this today... I'm not going to spend a lot of time in chapter nine. No offense to Doctor, uh, I mean to Pastor Dina and Sarah. I have great respect for him, and I I, lo- I like what he's saying in nine. Uh, I've told you the things I agree with what he's saying. I told you things I don't necessarily completely agree with when it comes to you know going after the sinner's prayer and inviting Jesus into your heart. I think we've covered that, and I just don't think it, it warrants any more time. Uh, if you missed that part of us talking about that, I would go back and catch that. But I will say the one thing in summary of chapter 9 that I think is important, and that is that the church has got to s- stop being so numbers oriented. Now, I'm not against numbers. You know, we had this many people we think made decisions for Christ and this and that, or we're growing our church. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that as long as you're not growing it by trying to make God more palatable. You know, if you're growing your church by trying to make God something that people would be more comfortable with, I'm not for that. What we really need to do, and, and certainly the numbers will be what they are. Now, what we need to do is submit to the authority of Christ, be recon- reconciled back to a holy God, uh, or submit to His lordship, and instead of us trying to make God something we're more comfortable with, why don't we let Him make us something He's more comfortable with? Now, if you've been listening over the last uh, four plus years, you've heard me say that before. So, what I'm saying is this: It's not about n- numbers; are not the end all. But there's certainly nothing wrong with them you know why look at look at Acts chapter two you know what they give us a number so there's nothing wrong with that, but it can't be the the motivation let me see how many people I can get you know that claim that uh, you know they're, they're they're that they made a decision for Christ today and then I want to turn that number in and look how great our church is or how great I preach or all that It can't be about that. We need to start vetting people more and you've you man you've heard us talk about that in here for four and a half years not not be so caught up in assuring someone they're saved. But 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 maybe be more concentrating on making sure that that person is saved by asking tough questions and vetting them out from what Scripture says salvation should look like. So I totally agree with that. I also, like the one point that was made that was a little bit unique, and that is, we we don't need to you know stand up and and, get, and point people to heaven all the time. We need to be pointing them to Christ. You know, if you ask anybody a question, do you want to go to heaven when you die? Yes, some of that's some old school evangelism. Well, who who's gonna tell you no? You wanna to go to heaven when you die? So that really can't be it because now we might be coming with all different versions of heaven or, you know, going to a better place or the happy hunting ground or or whatever that is. No. What we should be doing as a church is pointing people to Christ, period. Because that that's where salvation is found. That is the gospel. And and so that's covered. Uh, really, in chapter nine, and I and I agree with that. And then the the third point of chapter nine, and I'm giving you a summary on chapter nine because I found it to be a little repetitive on things we've already covered in this format. And that is, we need that we we can't get away from making disciples. That's what we're told to do. Jesus said, "Make disciples." Well, disciples means you you invest in people and you grow them from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. And the church, a lot of times, does a poor job at this. Uh, and that's something that we need to concentrate on. If you go to themanchurch.com, the whole strategy that we've set up, you know, for men's ministry is to disciple men from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. Does that mean we're not trying to reach lost men? Of course not. That's a given. That that we know that's in play. But but if you, if you leave men, you know, as spiritual infants, remember we we talked about the parable of Jesus with the the seeds and where they all fall, and some never take root, and some are burned, and some are taken away. Well, that's the reason why discipleship vets that process out, uh, and so that's kind of the summary uh, of of chapter chapter nine. And I remember in closing on the discipleship part, when we started doing the the man, the man church uh, discipleship strategy, when somebody said a 40 week curriculum, well, nobody's ever done that exactly, and that's probably what was wrong with it. Uh, you know, you give you give men six week uh, six weeks of Bible study. Guess what they do in week seven? They don't meet anymore. You know why this Bible study never ends? Because if it ever did, a lot of men will walk away. Uh, it, it, discipleship doesn't ever stop. I mean, we, we're, we're doing that all the way. So maybe taking men's ministry and devoting time to it like you would, you know, the, the youth department of your church or the children's department of your church or the women's ministry of your church or the adult classes of your church. Do you Do you, do you with those different parts of the church, do you just say a six-week Bible study every year? Of course you don't. And you shouldn't. Well, don't do that to the men either. The men need to be given a curriculum for them that they are studying and growing all year round. So that's kind of the summary of chapter 9. Now let's move into the one that's going to kind of fire a lot of people up and probably going to stay with me now. Remember, listen to what we're saying, but also listen to what we're not saying. Okay? And this is chapter 10 called God Shed His Grace on Thee, Partisan, Partisans, Politics, and Prosperity. Uh, you, you know, Russell Moore and I have not agreed on everything. Uh, we agree on most things. Uh, but there's some things he and I have you know had a little bit of a back and forth, and some of that was publicly. Uh, but I went to him a time that we did a conference together, and I asked for him to forgive me if I'd done anything to offend him. Uh, and I said, look, I have no issue with you. We're not always going to agree on everything. I was simply trying to point something out as your brother uh, that looked a little inconsistent when it talked about some of the things that were, that were being said politically. But he and I are great. I have great respect for Russell Moore, and I love what he says in this quote uh, that uh, Dean and Sarah uses to start this chapter. It may be that America is not post-Christian at all. It may be that America is instead pre-Christian, a land that though often Christ haunted, has never known the power of the gospel yet. That's a good statement, uh, and it's provocative, and I, I agree with uh, Uh, Russell Moore with his assessment. You know, we 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 act like we're post-Christian. I think one question we may ask: Have we have we ever really been Christian at all? When you look at 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 what the gospel really calls us to. So, one of the things that 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 we take on in in chapter ten is that we have to be careful. It's it's a real juggling act act when you start trying to take politics and patriotism and nationalism. And then kind of mesh it in with Christianity. It, it's they don't really go. They don't really fit. You know. Uh, uh, you know. You go to the uh, pieces of the puzzle. You know, a puzzle piece should fit perfectly. Nationalism, patriotism, and and politics, and and here here's the gospel, and here's the call of the followers of Jesus. You may get some of it to do kind of like this, or, or maybe kind of like that, but you're never going to have it do this because. Even if you look in, in right now, to, to have, if you look at Romans 13, uh, right now, the times we're living in, there's some very unpopular things that are said there uh, by the Apostle Paul. But one of the things that he says is that government, and I have brothers who disagree with me on this, but that's fine as long as we can. the disagreement comes from Scripture. Uh, you, know, you, you see where, because I heard this comparison one time, and I disagree with it, just so you know. Someone tried to compare government responsibilities to, to God's view of marriage. You know, God ordained marriage, and he ordained the government. Now, he, he, he never declared the government holy. That's where I disagree. Uh, it says he instituted government in, in Romans 13, basically to keep order in a fallen world. Uh, and if you don't want to be on the wrong side of the government, then behave is really what Romans 13 says in a nutshell. Now, some of you say, well, you're, Rick, your commentary on Romans 13 is really short. Well, it is, but you can read it for yourself. That's really what it's saying. If you don't want to be on the wrong side of the government, then behave uh, and be good citizens. And then when you oppose the government, you only oppose the government when they try to oppose God. But other than that, follow the laws of the land. And, 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 it, was in, and it was instituted to keep order in a fallen creation, and all governments are set up by God for various reasons, uh, mainly, though, to punish and to uh, to keep order. That's Romans 13. That's not Rick Burgess. That's, that's God-inspired writings of the Apostle Paul. But so where I disagreed with, with some of my brothers on this is because I find nowhere in Scripture, nowhere, where I see what, God saying the thing about the government that he said about marriage. You can go to the writer of Hebrews, and God says about marriage that he deemed holy. See, that's different. He deemed holy, and he He deemed it so holy that the writer of Hebrews says, may marriage be held in a place of honor by all, and may the marriage bed never be defiled. You never see him say that that the government be held in a place of honor by all and may government never be defiled. He never says that. So they certainly have been created and instituted by God, but one is deemed holy, the other is just deemed necessary. So, so you got to be real careful trying to take these things in Miriam and marry uh, and, them. And right now we're heading into one of the things that this chapter calls our patriotic holidays, which are great. Look, here's what we're not saying. There's nothing wrong with being patriotic to your country. There's nothing wrong uh, with, uh, you know, being thankful that you're in a country that, you know, is, is designed for maximum liberty. We're kind of playing with that right now. And there's nothing wrong with being thankful about that. Nothing wrong with standing up and being proud to be uh, an American. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with remembering those who have, uh, you know, given their life for the freedoms that we've enjoyed. That's should We should do that. That's appropriate. So when we get to these these high holy days from a, a patriotic standpoint, that would be Memorial Day, Fourth of July coming up this weekend, and Veterans Day. These are all good things to celebrate. So I want say it back to me. Rick, nor is Dean and Sarah saying that these are bad things. Right? Everybody got that? Before, take your hand off the home keys. Don't send an email saying that I'm saying something or that this book is saying that these are bad things. Not saying that. It's saying but they better be put in their proper place. Now that's what we are saying, okay? And and so, remember that things always get blurry and they always get dangerous when we mingle American patriotism with theistic language, like we say things like God and country. But what what, what does what does that even mean, God and country? So let's 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 look at that a little bit. If uh, he he goes into a lot about this on, on page one twenty. Uh, in the book, it says, we sing America, America, God shed his grace on thee and, and goosebumps cover arms and, and listen to Lee Greenwood sing. There ain't no doubt. I love this land. God bless the USA. Good stuff. How about it, It's great to ask God to bless our our, our nation. Uh, these sentiments make it easy, though, for cultural Christians to celebrate a generic faith and a no name in a no name God alongside their love of America. Remember, it's already been said in the book once, and, and I think it needs to be said again. See, the problem when you blur these things, the cultural Christian starts thinking they're interchangeable. I don't really know who this God is. It's just an obscure name, but this God could also maybe be America. But he's not. And, and, and I, the other thing is the great I am is not America's mascot. <laughs> now, if you want to sit there and cower, and, and, and be wretched and lay at the feet of God Almighty and say, will you please deliver our nation, please bless our nation? Certainly nothing wrong with that. We should do that. However, when you start taking it to the place that you blur, that somehow being an American makes you more Christian, now you got problems. Okay, now, now, the, These things should be over here where they belong. We'll celebrate our independence from a tyrannical British government this weekend and, and producing a country that when it's done the way the, the, the Constitutional Republic says it should be done, provides maximum liberty for someone to, to, to achieve their maximum potential by them being given maximum, maximum liberty. And I am for us going out and making sure that no one of any ethnicity is denied access to that liberty. But I tell you what I'm not for is for us to get rid of that liberty. But you know what? That still isn't Christianity. It isn't. For one thing, uh, Christianity is not a constitutional republic. It's not a democracy. It's a dictatorship. But we serve a benevolent dictator. But it's not a constitutional republic, and it's not a democracy. America and Christianity, they're not the same thing. And we'll get into more details on that. But it's important for us to, to, to don't, don't take these national holidays and get too spiritual with them, because sometimes you're going to make some mistakes. Um, and it also gets cultural Christians in trouble a lot because they think they're a Christian just because they're an American. And they sing God bless America or, you know, I'm, uh, ain't no doubt I love this land, God bless the USA. And somehow that's a hymn. It's not a hymn. Uh, so, so then it says with with gratefulness for God's blessing. Certainly, a Christian—that's uh, a Christian posture. Patriotism, but can serve as a stumbling block to the understanding that the 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 gospel. If you take them and marry them both, they should not be married together. Many cultural Christians see Christianity as more of a demographic than a religious conviction or identification with Jesus Christ as though it falls under the umbrella of being American. And keep in mind, he says this. I'm not saying this to chastise cultural Christians, and I'm not doing this Bible study to chastise a cultural Christian. I wish I had seen this Bible study, and I had been confronted with my cultural Christianity long before it actually happened. It would have saved me a lot of regret and a lot of pain and a lot of problems if I'd have got it quicker. So this, we're not trying to chastise, chastise anybody with this book or with this Bible study, man, we're trying to help. Okay, we're trying to help, and and I, I'm glad he made that point. But you need to listen, and pastors, you need to listen if you're watching this. This is to give warning to pastors and churches across the country. The American church's celebration of patriotism can fan the flame of the all encompassing generic God of cultural Christianity by not only leaving it unchallenged, but by giving it a platform. When churches bring out the all stops observance of the cultural high holy days, it can perpetuate the notion that God and America are attached at the hip, and they just aren't. They just aren't. You know, it, it, Americans should celebrate these things, but the church, be sure the church, we don't blur. That somehow American is more America is more Christian than than the persecuted churches all over the world. The Western church is no more important than the persecuted churches around the world. As a matter of fact, I think we're going to be held to a higher accountability because we haven't faced as much persecution as the church, the universal church, all over the world. And frankly, uh, we seem to sit around and seem pretty comfortable. And have we have we really done? everything that God has given us, the freedom and the finances and the blessings to do. We certainly have done a lot. I mean, America does a great job at, at funding the advancement of the kingdom all over the world, and, and that is probably you know, our most important role, but you won't find the government buying into that. I give George W. Bush credit. He's the only president in my lifetime that I know that actually started funding Living Hope uh, in South Africa, he started funding Living Hope South Africa. He even made the joke one time that the that John Thomas's church in South Africa was the first Baptist church in the history of the world to be funded by the United States government. Uh, and, and what he did is he said, I booked George W. Bush, he never gets credit for this. And certainly he had a lot of flaws that I disagree with. But I'll tell you this: he went in and said, if you want to fight AIDS in Africa, you fight it through the gospel. And and, and the lives that were saved by Living Hope South Africa and the money. That uh, that w- that was given to him by the United States of America. That was great, but 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 that doesn't mean that the United States of America is the only country that's advancing the gospel around the world. That's just not true. And and being American does not make you a Christian. And we got to be real careful that we don't cloud those two because we give people a, a false assurance that they've been redeemed because they're Americans. Um, and and that's the danger of of, of blurring the two. So. When you, when you look at the term God bless America, what, what exactly does that, does that mean? I mean, really, if you think about it, first of all, you've got to think about this. And, and this may be what bothers some of you, but that's okay. And if you want to reach out to me, you can. We're not God's favorite. Okay? I, I know that somehow, I remember being, being a little boy thinking, we're God's favorite. We, we must be the, the country that God loves the most. By the way, that's not true. As a matter of fact, you'll struggle. I'm certainly not going to say that I'm some expert on end times prophecy, but I can read. I can't find us. I don't know where we go or what happens to us, but you'll have a hard time finding us uh, when, when, toward the end of all this. And when you're looking at the state we're in now, I don't know how much longer we will be what we were intended to be uh, we, may, we may turn into something completely different. And it may be that the whole reason we were here was to legitimize Israel in 1948, I think, right, guys? 1948. Uh, and then, of course, to advance the gospel around the world with the blessings that we were given. And, and, and maybe that maybe we've done everything we're supposed to do. Uh, I don't know. I certainly don't know that. But you need to understand the United States of America isn't God's favorite. Get, you need to get that out of your mind. It's, all, it's really blasphemy to think that. Uh, especially when you look at the state of our country right now I, I think instead of us always thinking right now that the state we 're in and, and Pastor Dean and Sarah speaks on this and i'll i'll go 'll I'll even come alongside it I think it would be better for us right now to mourn to mourn the state we 're in and to lay at the feet of, of of the one and only living God and beg for his forgiveness and mercy for how wicked and evil we really are we're certainly not his favorite. And, um, and, and, and that, it, that's where we need to be. We need to be mourning the state of our country. And, uh, and, and, and so uh, he said, you know, Judeo-Christian values, even when separated from a saving faith in Christ, can largely contribute to hum- human flourishing. Hey, Judeo-Christian principles, they really work whether you believe in Jesus or not. I mean, they do. That's why the country, even with a bunch of deists and even some who didn't believe at all, but you know, our founding fathers, they were certainly strong Christians there, but they were also deists there. Uh, Thomas Jefferson did not believe in the miracles of Jesus Christ, wrote his own version of the Bible. Okay, I don't know that I'm going to spend eternity with Thomas Jefferson unless something changed. However, he certainly believed that Judeo-Christian principles are probably good things to build a country off of. But that doesn't mean that he believed in the gospel. That doesn't believe he believed in saving faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, so really, it can't just be about Judeo-Christian principles because you don't have to believe in God for those to be good things. Um, and so the, the, the function as an official code of conduct, practice for the common good, and they undeniably find their origin in the Bible, certainly we know that, but Judeo-Christian values in today's climate can be summed up in the ethical portion of the Ten Commandments. Be a good person, as divined by Western society, or don't lie, cheat, steal, or kill. Now, adhering to those rules certainly makes a better place to live. Nobody's denying that. But while these values help keep civic order, see Romans 13 again, and promote the common good, here's the problem. They can serve as a false gospel, and a hindrance to receiving the good news of Jesus Christ. Being a good American citizen, friend and family, man or woman, cannot substitute for being repentant and following Christ. Be repentant and follow Christ, that's the gospel. Not try to have a good code of conduct, and try to be a good friend and, a good, and, 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 and do these things that are in some moral code. That's not it at all. And I think sometimes we confuse that when we, when we build up, the, you know, you hear this all the time, family values. And stuff. Hey, family values ain't going to get you to heaven. Jesus is going to get you to heaven. Now, Jesus might produce family values in you, whatever that word means, and it seems like family values, you've got to be careful. It may just see The problem with things like family values, not devoted, repentant follower of Jesus, is family values have changed <laughs> tremendously in this country. There's a lot of people that define family values in a way that, are, that is not biblical. See, these, these codes are in our mind, but that we, they don't ask anything of us. I'm for family values. What does that mean? Have you ever noticed that? You ever seen these political commercials? Why does somebody think because they walk around on a farm that I'm going to vote for them? You know what? I didn't think you were any good, but now that I see you walking on a farm, uh, you know I guess I should vote for you. What, what does that even mean? That didn't mean you can do your job very good. I I believe in family values. Are you a repentant follower of Jesus? And will every vote you cast be under his authority? That's what I'd like to hear. Because everything else is flawed. Look, I've tried it, guys. I've tried it. I've made my mistakes of trying to, as a follower of Christ, get overly involved in politics. And we certainly should get involved. But man, I'm telling you, when you look around and you see these pastors wrapping their arms around some politician, you know what I'm thinking? Somebody's gonna to live to regret that. I've regretted it. I've done it. Billy Graham regretted it. He tried it. He got burned. Because politics isn't the church. It isn't the church. Okay? And so what happens in politics? It's compromise. So suddenly you've got your arm around some politician in a picture and you think you understand everything, that he's some devout follower of Jesus, all of a sudden he votes on some legislation, and attached to that legislation is something he doesn't believe in, but he voted for it to get what he wanted out of it, and somebody comes up to you and says, how you got your arm in a picture around some guy that let that go? And by the time you've explained how that happened, you go, I wish i just never done it. Get involved. Look, it's a necessary evil. Certainly get involved. Do the best you can. But no political party... Either side is the same thing as Christianity. It's not. And, that's, and both of them, I'll tell you, they are, by the way. Both. Not one. Both. And we'll get into that more here in a minute. But anyway, America's prominence as a blessing to much of the world through financial aid, relief, military protection should be commended. And we do. We, we, I'm so glad these things happen. But it can form a nationalism that goes beyond simply being grateful. It turns into an idol. See, American patriotism can take a noble thing and turn it into an idol. See, so there's something, guys. I'm gonna tell you something. I'm gonna get a lot of trouble today. I should have done this one before I went on vacation. But listen, the way some of y'all act about the country and your football teams, they're idols to you. I love the country. I'm glad I'm here. Okay, I'd go. I, I you know, I, I. I I would take uh, this country on its worst day compared to some of the places I've traveled all over this world. But that doesn't make it more Christian. And, and, and some of these things were like, you wouldn't believe the emails we get about where the flag is located in the studio. I mean, you know, it's not supposed to be there. It's supposed to be here over to this way. Stand up here. Put a lot on it. Don't put a lot on it. Touch it. Don't touch it. Fold it this way. I mean, some of this just gets ridiculous. It's a flag. Okay, and certainly, you know, it's something that it can be symbolism, but it's not an idol. It's not to be worshipped. It's not to be worshipped. This country is not to be worshipped. Patriotism is not Christianity, and it's okay to put it in its proper place, just like anything. But it doesn't replace God, and that's the thing we have to be careful of. For many. Christianity is not only tied to an identity as an American but more specifically to their identity as a political conservative or a southerner or a Democrat, which in, in many times uh, people think is synonymous and it's just not it, it, it's just not you know understand that you you have to be sure that the presentation of, of things that are patriotic about this country that they're not presented as as some sort of holy creed, that our flag is not presented as a holy relic, and that the national anthem is not treated as if it's a psalm. They're not. They're not scripture. They're not idols. They're not psalms. They're not hymns. They're important, but they're not the ultimate. America can't do anything to save you from your sin. Jesus can. And Jesus is here to save the world, not just save America. And we've got to understand that. You have to be careful of presenting God and country in a way that exalts America as exceptional in God's eyes and that he is our mascot. You've got to be very, very careful with that. All right, so other things that we want to, uh, to discuss is, is it's critical that pastors and churches remain faithfully committed to scriptures and they do not adopt the us-and-them mentality that is so prevalent in the political arena. A lot of churches out there that are more involved in politics than they should be. They just are. Uh, you know, It's divisive. Uh, it, it, it gets people against each other. When Really, when we get in, what we need to understand when we come to church is today we're going to talk about the fact that we're all equal in equal need of redemption. I honestly don't want to go to a church service or watch one that starts talking more about politics than they talk about Jesus. I just I just don't want to hear that. I really don't care uh, what my pastor thinks about uh, the political climate. I'd like to know what Scripture says about what what really is going to happen because I assure you, when Jesus comes and touches His foot on the Mount of Olives, it's really not going to matter who the president of the United States is, or the ruler or president or whatever parliamentarian of any country, because I got news for you. Everybody is going to kneel, and everybody is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and whatever position you held prior to that is, isn't going to mean anything. Or in Calhoun County, we'd say, ain't going to mean nothing. Okay, so I, that's what, I, when I go to church, I want to get away from all this. I want to leave the world, and I want to come into the presence of God. And and so you got to be real careful about all this. I see. I see many times if you are a pastor out there trying to become a politician, and you all you do is you can't wait to get on Fox News or CNN and talk about politics and talk about presidential elections. Whoever this politician is that you're so in love with is going to do something to burn you. I promise you. I mean, we had pastors going up to see our current president, and I, I don't know the kind of man that he is now, but but up there at his office, you look up here, and here's the pastor of some huge church in America with his arm around a man, and behind him is a picture of the man on the cover of Playboy magazine. Do you not even have enough sense to move away from that picture and get your picture made somewhere else? And that doesn't mean that's the man that he is now, but be, be smart enough not to go into an office and get your picture made in front of a, a, a framed copy of Playboy magazine. That that's not your role. What are you doing? Now, if you want to go up there and have a chance to go to Washington and, and try to go to Washington and make some change and get in front of any president and try to say that our country needs to turned to God and what that's fine, but you know what happens? And I've and I've talked to pastors where this has happened. You go into the White House and they and you get so engrossed with being there, they pull out some some box. You know, like a ring comes in. You open it up and they give you some sort of presidential seal and suddenly you're so caught up in being in the power of the government and being up here at the White House, and you know what that political party is saying the whole time? We got you. We got you. That's not your role. That's not your role, and there's too much of that that goes on. So if you celebrate Judeo-Christian values, and it's certainly appropriate to do so, but if one is talking about the American ideals of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness— Remember, that's still a lousy substitute for the gospel. It ain't going to save us. And, 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 and you think about this, when you think about like things like pornography, do we really think that there's, and he says this in the book, less problem with pornography and drugs and whatever in red states versus blue states? Now, sin, sin doesn't care about what color your state is. Sin doesn't care about, about your political leanings. Uh, Are extramarital affairs, financial fraud, drunk driving, spousal abuse, is, is this only reserved for the coastal elites? No, it's everywhere. It doesn't have a political affiliation. And so sin is not a respecter of geographical or cultural boundaries. And then Dean and Sarah says, I absolutely believe Christians should promote the common good and general welfare of all people and our convictions should certainly drive our political affiliations, but voting your values cannot get you into heaven. It doesn't forgive you of sin, and it will not reconcile you to God. There are people in hell right now who exhibited Judeo-Christian values, voted pro-life, loved their country, got choked up watching Whitney Houston's 1991 performance of the National Anthem at the Super Bowl. He said, interesting. I don't and interestingly, I don't know a Christian who would who would disagree with the statement that I'm making. So the church must stop acting like Judeo Christian values are the gospel. They're not. There's, there's people in hell right now that loved all these things and got choked up and emotional about it, but it didn't, it didn't redeem them because the rest of their life was devoted to sin. And they were unredeemed. I, I love what Dr. Adrian Rogers says, and y'all have heard me talk enough, you know how much I love Adrian Rogers. And uh, he makes a great statement. He said, I wouldn't trust the best 15 minutes I ever lived to get me into heaven. That's a powerful man of God saying that. That's how fallen we really are. Adrian Rogers said he wouldn't trust the best 15 minutes he ever lived to get him into heaven. Wow. And he was also a guy who said that Christians should be involved. And if you're living in a country, a constitutional republic, that gives you a voice to vote for the the best shot at government you can get, absolutely be involved. We should. But it doesn't replace the gospel. And it certainly won't save us. And America's not God's favorite, and he's not our mascot. So the partisan politics of it all, the old Christian and Republicans and Christian and Democrats, here's what's funny that I've always noticed about this. And I certainly have political leanings, as, as anyone does, that that get close to supporting what I think about taxes and what I think about, you know, where uh, you know God's uh, uh, standard of marriage and where life begins. A lot of things, by the way, that I didn't believe at one time, but when I was redeemed, I did. And I'm going to try to draft politically with those political, you know, candidates that best represent that. But they're all flawed and none of them are who I wish they were. None. But one might be. Closer to that than another, but I don't. I, I used to make a bigger deal about it than that. I really don't anymore because I've realized how disappointing it can be. I can tell you this I, I, w- I was involved in politics a lot more than I am now, and I still discuss it on the show some, and I'll give opinions. But at one time, I was like going all in. Like I was going to get with candidates, and I endorsed candidates, and I did all this. And this has been in the last, you know, five, six years. And I was at a political gathering uh, one night. And all these business cards kept being shoved in my hands and, hey, we need you on this. You need to talk about this on the show about this and this and this and this. And my wife, she saw it. My body physically got crouched over like this. If you're not watching it on the YouTube, I'm crouching over. And I looked at her and I was at the table and I said, I I, got to get out of here. I said, I feel so much spiritual oppression in this room. I'm not supposed to be here. We, We got to go. And after that, I have not uh, endorsed another political candidate, nor will I uh, ever again, because it's not worth it. My integrity as a man of God and as a follower of Jesus and the platform that he's afforded me, it means more to me than any political agenda. And I've got some friends of mine that I love and have great respect for that are devout followers of Christ, and they're in elected positions, and they're fighting, and they're working, but they come back and tell me so many times, it's a godless place, and man, you can get caught up in it, and it's a dark, dark place. And they're trying, and I commend them. I do. And there's some that they don't really care about anything other than trying to advance the, the, the things that are of the kingdom of God, trying to protect where life begins, trying to protect things that God has deemed holy, and I, I appreciate them doing that. But ultimately, politics cannot replace the gospel. And here's the thing that's kind of funny. Did you know that we'll have people tell tell they'll have people tell you I'm a Democrat because I'm a Christian, and then people say, Well, I'm a Republican because I'm a Christian. Can I tell you this? Neither one of them represent Christianity. One might line up with you more than another on certain topics. Neither one there's no there isn't the, the political parties are not synonymous with Christianity. They're just not. And and the quicker you understand that, I think the better off you'll be. Uh, You know, nothing. uh, If you're a person that gets more bent out of shape, if you're a pastor or whatever you call the person who is the spiritual leader of your church, if you get more bent out of shape by a political statement than if they were preaching heresy, you got a problem. Heresy doesn't bother you, but a political statement does. Then that's a problem. And I mean, I, I know that you know, this happens in churches. I mean, I, I know that I've talked to pastors that have people leave their church because they made a joke about football teams. And they, they didn't pull for the football team that they pulled for. Now, the preacher could have preached heresy and they'd have been understanding, but he said something about their football team. So they had to leave. Maybe you're holding on to that football team a little tight. I'd say the same thing about your political party. If you're more concerned about the political party statement that your your pastor made than whether he's preaching heresy or not, I think I would probably readjust my priorities. So also don't forget, to what about when you watch social media posts from professing Christians uh, about politics or their sports teams? And, uh, and, and and if you look at it, you'll see more passionate responses about the politics that, are, that they put out on Twitter or the sports stuff. I've, I've watched pastors on social media. Some of y'all just need to get off social media because I, I, I find myself kind of hey, – some of you are way too into sports. You're way too into your sports team on social media, and it really makes me see you in a, in a, in a different way. Some of you are far more political on your social media that, media than you are spiritual. and uh, Maybe you should use the platform that God's given you, and I've had to learn this myself to talk about him as opposed to you know, your political agenda or your sports teams. Uh, it, 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 you know, because you know what? These things are divisive. You know, if you want to be divisive, Jesus is divisive enough. That's worth being divisive over. And, uh, and so just kind of keep that in mind. Here's some things he said to look for if you go to one of these God and country. If you're a God and country Christian, I thought this was good, you believe that your political party is the Christian party. Uh, It says you would be more offended if the pastor endorsed a Democratic candidate or if you're a Democrat or Republican candidate from the stage than if he taught a theological problematic point. Another one, your social media profile would uh, make one think that God's chief concerns is the flourishing of America. Uh, You believe certain cultural rights, such as gun ownership, are Christian rights. They're certainly political rights, but they're not necessarily Christian rights. Again, you're clouding the two. Uh, you believe that taking back America is the mission of the church. No, it, the mission of the church is to for for sinners to repent and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and then advance his kingdom and make disciples. Uh, it says uh, also you, pro, you you process news stories first as an American, not as a Christian. And you might go to a God and country church if the American flag is on display more prominent than anything that relates to Jesus. Your pastor implies that the failure to vote is a sin and that winning an election is saving America. Your pastor interprets Bible verses about Israel as if they're about America. Uh, Your pastor implies that Jesus' shining city on the hill is America. Uh, Your congregation remembers the 1950s as a golden era. Uh, The congregation applauds more for soldiers than they do for missionaries. And you think Happy Holidays is a war on Christianity. It says if that, if that is kind of the environment that, that you're in, then probably you may be attending a church that maybe doesn't have this, or your life doesn't really have this in the proper balance. And and, and I've seen this, um, this, this whole ordeal. And he talks about dealing with a, a young man that said that he wasn't sure he could be a Christian because he didn't want to be a Republican. And, uh, and, and he said that's, that's how synonymous this has become. Uh, but at the same time, um, we see on the other end of the spectrum, we see the liberal social justice Christian. Now, that this person is very similar uh, to the conservative social Christian, but um, you know the God and country Christian. But these are the the people that are on the left side of politics, and they think the left side uh, is more Christian than anything. And, and this, see if this rings a, rings a bell. <clears throat> so there's a rapidly growing group of people who feel strongly about the social justice issues, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not necessarily Christian uh, tied together who almost position themselves against the church from within the church. Uh, Their mission is to apologize for the Bible, the church, and Christians, and to meet the culture in its fight for choice, marriage, equality, etc. The Bible's sexual ethic embarrasses them. They champion a Jesus that would never impose his beliefs on anyone else. It would never tell someone Uh, who they can and cannot love. After all, he is love, and love wins. Uh, These people often have a skewed, yet passionate view of the mission of the church. Similar to their Republican counterparts, they believe that politicians and legislation will fix the world. They also have a different view of us that draws lines at politics, not theology. Uh, They give more grace to a progressive unbeliever than they do to a believer who voted Republican in the last election. Uh, They've become consumed with anti-Republican passions, believing they are representing Jesus. So that's the left version of someone who their politics uh, seems to be intertwined with their Christianity. The bottom line is that neither party is totally Christian. uh, And that's the one thing that we have to get right. So each of us bears our own responsibility for our convictions, but ultimately our convictions should be held by what the Bible says, not our feelings, not, uh, not our you know, social work, not all these things, but what does the Bible say about this period? In the world but not of the world is what Jesus says. Jesus called his followers to be in the world but not of the world. You'll find that. Write this down, John 17, 15, and 16. <clears throat> and caring about the welfare of our nation is certainly part of living faithfully in the world. At the same time, Christians are called not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. You'll find that in Romans 12, verse 2. Write that down. So we need to care about people more than politics. It hurts our witness to the world by confusing people on exactly what our message and is our mission. Jesus didn't say, go into the world and make Republicans of all nations, or go into the world and make Democrats of all nations. Jesus, as a matter of fact, if you really pay attention, Jesus doesn't really get involved much in the political landscape he's in at all. I mean, the most political statement he made was about paying taxes, and he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But you give to God what is God's. I think that's probably the strongest political statement that Jesus said, and guess what it basically was? The government's got their thing going, do whatever they say, unless they tell you to blaspheme me. You better be focused on giving to God what is God's. Give to the government what's the government's, but you give to God what is God's. You know what that is? Your life. Your life. Give your taxes to the government. You give your life to God. You give your praise to God. You give your worship to God. You give your devotion to God, not to the government. So, then you have the global scope of Christianity, and that's important too. Globally, the unhealthy blending of God and country has detrimental effects. As many churches and professing Christians believe, an American, Americanized version of the gospel, the prosperity gospel of televangelists, has been replaced with glorified versions of the American dream in which God is like a genie that helps each of us find our true potential and fulfill our destiny. Try dishing that out to brothers and sisters around the globe who risk their lives to read the Word of God. See, perfect example, a friend of mine goes over into Egypt to help the persecuted church in Egypt. So he's underground in a cave where church is going on secretly with Coptic Christians. Well, of course, you know how we are as Americans. And he admitted this. He said, all of a sudden, the American pastors begin to tell this secret church that's having praise and worship in a cave, How they would? Any, what can we do to help you? <laughs> and you know what the Coptic Christian says? We don't need you. You need us. You don't understand what it's like for the gospel to cost you anything. Why would you think that our secret church in a cave where we could be killed tomorrow would need anything from you? What can you teach us? You can't teach us anything. Why don't we teach you something about what it's like to actually have to sacrifice to be a follower of Jesus? And he said, man, it, it blew his mind. Where, where do we get off thinking that we should go around the world and Americanize the world from a spiritual standpoint? If you want to try to bring democracy to tyrannical places, man, we've, we've had a lot of people die to try to get that done. And people in South Korea are thankful. People in South Vietnam are thankful. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, because it's not as bad as it would have been, and some people did benefit, and we try to bring freedom. We didn't go there uh, to try to colonize Vietnam or colonize Korea. We, we went there to try to keep people from being under a tyrannical government. And you know what? South Korea is thankful. South Vietnam is thankful. But as far as going around and trying to take church and say that the American version of church should be embraced by the rest of the world? That's crazy. That's not true. We can probably learn more from the persecuted church than the persecuted church is going to learn from us. And and, and so when you go around with an attitude that if you would become more like the American church, then you'll finally get it, do you realize what a turnoff that is? That our version of church is is the preferred version of God? That's quite a turnoff when you're trying to go around to the brothers and sisters of the universal church around the world, when God and country are excessively intertwined, it's easy to see Christians in other nations as them rather than us. No, they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, think about what it would be like for you to be in China. And every so often the government shows up and knocks everything down, crushes the building, bulldozes it, and says, try it again. We're not worried about that. Now, see, the great thing about the state of our country right now we may need to learn from them because the universal church, the persecuted church, see, we don't know what that's like. And you watch right now. Look, look at the state of the American church right now with all the opposition that's coming. They look terrified. I'm not saying every one of them, but most churches I'm around right now, they just don't want trouble. Hey, if you're going to be a devout follower of Jesus, according to Jesus, trouble is coming. What about when Paul's writing to Timothy, all who choose to live a godly life will be persecuted? Have you ever asked if you're not being persecuted, why? It could be because you don't live a godly life. The world doesn't see us as any real threat. You think this fallen nation is afraid of the church? (laughs) The church has been put over in a corner and just says, y'all just go do your own thing. You don't even engage the culture. We don't, we don't even remotely think about the Western church in this country right now. You think there's any concern about it? No. Now, it, it, we hold the answers, but we certainly are not being even paid attention to right now in our country. And there's a reason for that. Before we realize that God becomes a means to an American end, one concern with the individual prosperity and ambition the outcome is a faith in God that looks, thinks, and acts like an American. The mascot God is attached to causes or initiatives, football teams, businesses. This God wants us to win and is happy as long as we're good people. We must preach a better gospel in our churches, conversations, and on social media. One can be grateful for the privilege of living in America while still thinking and thank God for those who defended our freedom while not missing the fact that our country morally resembles Babylon more than any city on a hill. So so we're going to ask God to bless this? We're killing about an average of 2,000 babies a day. We're one of the few countries, and we're the only free country, that does partial birth abortions and lets a baby lay over there and die if it's accidentally birthed during an attempted late-term abortion. We're in a very small group of countries that allow that to go on. We take an entire month and, and, and celebrate the opposite a standard that is not God's standard for intimacy, gender, and marriage. <clears throat> we spend an entire month on it. We spend one day thanking people for dying for our country. We spend a month on that. So, you're going to tell me that God is pleased with America and sees us as a shining city on a hill? No, we look a lot more like Babylon, <clears throat> which means we shouldn't expect God to bless it. Like I was saying with the thing going on in Mississippi, somebody said, Well, the good news is they're going to take the rebel flag off the Mississippi flag. Good, I'm glad. I'm glad of that. And they said, But one thing they put in there the next flag has to say, In God we trust. You think God wants to be on our flag? Oh, that'll do it. Just, just put in God we trust on something. Then hey. right. You know what, right now, what God says to our country? You may write in God you trust, but you don't act like you trust me. It's just a phrase. It's just a slogan if you look at the way we live. Think about it. When you realize we, we just had a, a, something come before the Supreme Court, again, that could limit the people that are killed on a daily basis, kicked it out. But you, you realize this this country, there was an attempt to go before our Supreme Court and say that we as a country will declare that marriage is one man and one woman, which would be in sync with God's standard of marriage that he created. And the Supreme Court ruled that you cannot mandate that federally across the entire country. Then we went before the Supreme Court again and said that we wanted same-gender marriage to be forced on every state in the union, and that was passed. Didn't defend God's standard for marriage, but did defend the opposite. Wouldn't force God's standard of marriage on the states, but will force anti-God's standard for marriage on the states. And we think he sees us as his favorite We think he sees us as the shiny city on a hill? We're delusional, if that's what you think. So the, the, the proper position for us as America is to beg for God to have mercy and to repent of our sins and to repent and ask for him to forgive us. If we're the shining city on the hill, then the light needs to be replaced. I would say God is not impressed with America. If anything, people who call America their home will be held more accountable because of the unprecedented access we've had to the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout scriptures. Matthew 11, Jesus makes this very clear when he says to Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin, Those three places is where Jesus did the majority of his miracles, the overwhelming majority, all the big ones, and they remained unrepentant. You know what Jesus said to those cities, like he says to America? How much worse will it be on the day of judgment for you three than for Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom and Gomorrah? If those places that were wiped out by God would have heard what you heard, They would have repented in ashes and dust, but you remain unchanged. So I would say that God is going to hold every American to a higher standard and also a greater punishment. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the access to the gospel that we've been blessed to have here in this country. Forgive us, Lord, that we've become grace abusers. Forgive us, Lord, that we become flippant about our access to you And forgive us for our arrogance, forgive us for our pride, forgive us for our delusions that somehow we are more important to you than the rest of the world. Lord, I pray for this country. I know that you said these things must happen in the end times. And I see these things just as you said they would be. But Lord, we also know that you've asked us uh, to, to bring our needs before you and you will hear our prayers. And I pray, Lord, that you'll continue to to pull a remnant like you always have. And may your church realize this is an incredible time for us to point people to you, not to ourselves, not to our politics, not to our patriotism, but to you. And may you have mercy, Lord, on us. Forgive us for what we become. In your name we pray, amen. If I can help you in any way, Rick at rickandbubba.com. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.